Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. The topic tonight is, what does it mean to heal body, mind, and spirit? And our guest tonight is Peter Bedard. We're going to bring Peter on in just a minute, but I want to take the notion of of who you are and uh, and dwell on it a middle uh, for a little bit because um, the conversation I think we're about to have tonight relates to who you are as a as a person and and what I'm expounding on here is the power the power of who you are and and how to trust and believe that power um it I, when i think about the, our mythology um if if you look at the human paradigm um we've had all these saviors we've had these sages come and go from many religions from all over the world and the saviors these these profound personas, deities, whatever you want to call them, they've come into the human dynamic and then they've departed and then here we are still in a karmic quagmire. And what I'm suggesting is sometimes we hold a a frustrating part about our life. It could be pain or disease. It could be heartache or depression. It could be anything really that uh, ails us that we would prefer not to have in our life. And what I really like about the episode we're having tonight is we're talking about the, the, the potential that you have in relationship to your life. You know, it's a, uh, it's a curious thing when, uh, I know in, in the traditional uh Christian arena, Jesus is is a pivotal figure, and Jesus comes along and says, hey, you know, what the hell? You guys, you, that'd be you listening to this, will do everything that I will do and more. So Jesus was a savior, so check that off for yourself. You as a savior. Jesus was a healer. Check that off for yourself. You as a healer. Jesus performed miracles. Check that off for yourself. You are the performer of miracles. And the reason I'm 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 setting the stage with this dialogue tonight is to heal our relationship with our own personal power, our own ability to be a powerful persona in the dynamics of our life. But, uh, so often people will look at their paradigm. I mean, they'll get into this repetitive pattern where they get up, they go to work, they come home, they recover or whatever, and maybe have some fun on the weekend. And that pattern will repeat for years or even decades. And and the point I'm getting at here is your potential, your human potential, your um, to 
to learn how to put some horsepower in your beliefs, to learn how to put some expectation of results in your beliefs. In other words, to get your wand to work as you intend it to. When you, when you start to understand that the infinite potential of your human demeanor never dims. In other words, this Christ consciousness, this source consciousness that's behind you as a persona has no limitations ever. So if we look at the human dynamic, not a lot of people are really capitalizing on that feature of their own self. Not a lot of people are turning on their healer gene, their savior gene, per se, in mass. And so when we had this conversation tonight, and I'm delighted to have Peter on the show, when we had this conversation, if, if you're experiencing um, chronic pain, be it emotional, physical, or whatever, don't think for a minute that in any way, shape, or form that you're stuck with it. And I, I want you to really dig down deep in your in your psyche and, and tap that higher wisdom in you when you listen to this conversation because I want you to know and trust that you decide everything that happens in your life. Now, um, without further ado, I think it's time to get with the show. Again, the topic of the show tonight is what does it mean to heal body, mind, and spirit? And our guest tonight, uh, Peter, um, he's written a wonderful book. The, I have the book here with me, Healing Pain with Energetic Love. Um, Peter would want you to think about, you know how impossible it seems to heal at times? How some people live in fear for never being able to heal their pain and end up relying on drugs and surgery to survive. Well, Peter, our guest tonight, has healed himself of everything from chronic anxiety, arth arthritis, asthma, fibromyalgia, depression, and other uh, diseases. He has died before and come back to a body racked in pain, a mind trapped in fear and a spirit broken. He is healed from all of this and more, and he wants to share that journey with you tonight. He has an MA in consciousness studies and his extensive training in hypnotherapy. Peter has helped thousands of people heal. Through his expertise working with anxiety, addiction, and pain, whether it be physical, emotional, or, or spiritual, Peter has developed and tried a true process for creating your own path to wellness, convergence healing, and he can help you. You can check out his website at convergencehealing.com. Please join me in welcoming Peter to the show. Peter, I'm so glad to have you on the show tonight. Les, thank you. I'm glad to be here. And that was a very nice opening. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, you know, um, why don't we start off with your own story? That'll put some skin in the game and put some some merit behind your experience. Can you share with us the, the episodes of, of pain and healing that you've been through yourself? 
Sure. You were able to uh, share a couple of those already. So many years ago when I was uh, just before I turned 18, somebody came up behind me while I was riding on my moped and pushed my bike into the back of a parked semi-truck. So I had the experience of jumping out of my body and watching my body and the bike slam into the truck. And I died in that moment. I went to the other side. It's a whole other conversation, but uh, I went to the other side and I had my own conversation with God. And I jokingly say this, but I'm very serious at the same time that death and the experience of being on the other side, uh, I think the Baptists say the land on the other side of the river, uh, as they say, it's an amazing, beautiful, incredible, loving place. And that experience is something to actually look forward to. One of the things that I really like to get people to start thinking about is that we're born with death. Death is one of the things that comes in with us. It's a constant companion throughout our lives. And death is something that we're all going to do. We're all going to go through. And it's actually a beautiful thing. The death process might be painful, but the experience of being on the other side in this alternative form as you is is one of the most blissful experiences I can ever recommend to someone. So although I'm not telling people to end their lives, I'm saying that what if you actually lived your life with the idea that there is beauty, peace, joy, unlimited bliss waiting for you? And as a friend of mine's father once said on his, uh, shortly before he died on his deathbed, he said, you can't get this wrong. And this was a Baptist minister who was, Uh, all of his life preaching, you know, fire and brimstone. And he discovered on his deathbed, he got a vision of the other side and he saw his father whom he thought was not going to be able to be in heaven. And he saw his father on the other side and, and understood right before his death that you can't get this wrong and that death is something to look forward to. And it's an embracing, loving experience there is not this wrath and brimstone that is uh, often preached in, uh, to us. So when we can actually look at, hey, this is an experience, you're having an experience, you're being a, a reflection of the divine and the divine loves you and you can't get this wrong. In fact, it's going to be great on the other side. The choices that we can make in life can be much more powerful. So, my experience of dying led me to, and coming back, and by the way, I didn't want to come back, and on the other side, I was told that I had to come back, and I got very angry, and that anger is what actually brought me back into my physical form, so I came back, and I was I was very angry. I didn't want to be back here. I knew that my body had been destroyed my life at that point was as a dancer and I knew that I would never be able to dance again. I knew that the thing I was most passionate about, I could never do anymore. So to have to heal that physical pain, but that mental emotional pain and that spiritual pain of losing this part of me that understood joy and purpose and had a place in life, losing that was the beginning of my journey of healing. I love how you titled the show A Body, Mind, Spirit and and what does it mean in healing that way because it's something that we kind of banter around. It's sort of come, that phrase has come into sort of colloquialism 
but I don't think people actually understand what it really means to actually be healing or to heal on that, all those levels of the mind, body, and spirit. So thank you for letting me share this. Well, I, I like what, what you're saying. And so for your, for your own example, I mean, I guess uh, the blunt question would be, do you experience pain now in your life? Every but every now and then I do have some pain. I've been able to heal about ninety nine percent of the things that uh, had come into my life. The arthritis is gone, the fibromyalgia, the bronchitis, my white blood cells attacking my red blood cells, the hemoglobin splitting and shutting down my organs, and the anxiety, the depression, fibromyalgia. All of those things I've been able to heal. I do have bouts of pain that come in. And I think that that's part of the experience here. This human world is, I think we get it wrong when we think that, that this is supposed to be a place of beauty and peace. The human realm, this physical realm we are in, has the experience of beauty and peace. But it also has pain, it has suffering, it has all of these things, it has loss. And those are the things that we're here to learn. And those, the, the pain, those experiences, if we look at them as being punishments and something that's happening to us, then we are constantly going to be victimized by them. And we live in this victim consciousness. When we can look at these experiences as part of the human realm, and that's, that's what we're doing here, then suffering is just part of the experience. Having pain is just part of the experience. We don't need to dwell on that pain. We don't need to live in that pain, though. The pain can call us into greater things. This pain that I had undergone called me into being a consultant at Stanford University. It gave me the ability to actually be here on the show which, and do these types of things, which I find so much joy in. It guided me in writing my book and helping thousands of people actually heal their lives. So I look at that experience now as being back, you know, slammed into the back of a semi-truck as a gift. I look at that experience as something that was the beginning of an incredible journey of healing. And I'm so grateful for that experience. And so I've been able to shift my mindset away from being a victim to life to being an active creator with the creator. I'm not sure if that's too, if that's too esoteric. <laughs> no, I like it. Well, you know, I mean, you're talking about uh, a very blunt physical event uh, coming in, coming into uh, basically rear ending a semi truck. I mean, mechanically, <laughs> physically, that's breaking bones, that's uh, 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 damaging organs and whatnot. I mean, yes. let's put some meat and potatoes to the to the idea of this recovery because you were sharing about how angry you were um, returning from the other side back into your mm-hmm. physical form. So, so you have this component of anger, perhaps I don't want to put words in your mouth, a bitterness towards the accident. Your physical body, oh, yeah. you have. You have broken bones. I mean, the, the integrity of your body is physically compromised. Um, Absolutely. What are the, what and it are wasn't the elements just, mm-hmm. for people who have uh, chronic pain from these kinds of conditions? I mean, um, what do you mean by body, mind, and spirit as far as healing modalities? 
Yes, thank you for asking that. So what I discovered in my own healing process and why I call my practice Convergence Healing is because I've discovered that all wounds exist on this mind level, this body level, and this spirit level. And so the healing has to be a convergence of therapies, of thought, of treatments, however you decide to go about it, that are coming together to create the experience of wellness, to sort of reclaim the wellness that's, that's your entitlement, in my, in my understanding. And so I like to give the example of uh, now a, one of my football players, let's say. I have one of my professional football players. They come to see me, and they, they shattered their knee. They, they slammed up their knee in a game, right? So they come to see me, and they have obvious physical pain. And the, the Western doctors are addressing that. They're doing surgeries or, you know, stapling things or, you know, pinning things back together, getting the bones back. They're doing that type of stuff. But the wound for my football player is also in his mind. There's this panic, this anguish, mental anguish that's in his head of, am I ever going to be able to play again? Am I ever going to be able to do the things I used to do again? I just bought a $14 million house. Am I going to be able to pay for that? What's going to happen to my contract, my family, the season? All of those things are just going in his head, spinning, overwhelming in a very real way, his, his spirit. Then on the soul level, there on the heart level, there's this broken heart because this guy has probably been playing ball since he's eight or 10 years old. That's normally the age that these guys start playing ball. It's how they identify with the world. It's how they know how to be in the world. It's often their passion, the thing that they live and breathe. And that experience is potentially being ripped away from them right now. So the wound is physical, but it's also mental and it's also absolutely spiritual. And so that means that in my own healing, what I discovered is that I had to heal because I had that same situation where my wound was the spiritual wound of how I understood to be in the world. My, my passion, the way I actually knew how to communicate with the world was through movement, dance, and I couldn't do that anyway. anyway. So it's, it was like my, my voice had been ripped out of me, and I had to heal that, that spiritual hole that was in my heart. And then I had to do the same thing in my mind and, and obviously in my body with the cracked vertebrae I had and the shattered knee and my split wrist and the brain damage that I had to, I had to heal. So when I'm working, what I, what I learned is in working on myself is that I had to take a mind-body-spirit approach to healing. And that didn't mean, oh, I needed to go meditate and pray and, you know, eat better. Although those can be part of that process, I started to actually tune into my body itself. I would start talking to the pain itself, the wound itself. And in addressing the wound, giving the wound permission to speak, many people, these wounds that we have, we're, we're constantly telling them how to fix themselves. And I think of them, I always give the analogy or the metaphor, let's say, of a 17-year-old rebel that's messed up. And everybody is telling the kid, how to fix everything, the teachers, the principals, the parents, the friends, everybody's wagging their finger at this rebel, telling them what they need to do to fix things. And I'm wondering, what if that accident, in my case, was exactly the perfect thing that was meant to happen to me? So what if I take that point of view that although it sucks, I'm in this pain, but this is part of my life journey, 
and I'm going to embrace it as part of my life journey. And instead of telling this part of me that's suffering and treating it like something I want to cut out and throw away and that there's something wrong with, what if I approach it with love? And in the example of this 17-year-old rebel, what if I go to the rebel and I ask the rebel and I say, hey, how do you want to fix this? Everybody is telling you what you have to do, quote unquote, in order to fix this problem. But what do you want to do? And what if I actually empowered the rebel to actually go come forward and to actually do the healing work instead of the doctors and the teachers and, you know, all that type of stuff telling the rebel how to fix things. And so we start creating a relationship with the pain that is of kindness because most of the time, the stuff that, that's in pain, we don't treat very well. Somebody, let's just take something like body image and fat. It's a common problem in the United States. Americans are just fat people, right? And these are, this is a wound. And what if we actually, instead of treating our fat as if something is to be ashamed of, embarrassed of, what if we actually treat it as something that's there to protect us, that it has a purpose for being there? And what if we actually be kind to it? Because we're carrying these wounds around with us 24-7. And it's kind of like the invisible friend that nobody else can see, but we can. And we're constantly talking to that friend. And we're saying, I wish you wouldn't be here. I can't stand you. I hate you. I wish you'd go away. I'm ashamed of you. I'm embarrassed of you. And I don't know about you, but if I was this invisible friend to you, Les, I was the symbol of your pain, and you talked to me like that, I would be flipping you the finger, and I'd be saying to yeah. you, you think it hurts now? <laughs> yeah. you, you treat me like that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock you down even more. So instead, what if I actually approach these parts of me that are suffering, and I say, I'm so sorry you're hurting, and I'm actually willing to give you love? I do this with my cancer clients. You know, I actually ask them, and it's so interesting how open they are to doing it. I ask them, this tumor that you have, it's with you 24-7. It's this presence. Nobody else can see it. You know, maybe the doctors can image it, but you can feel it. And it's with you all the time. And most people are punishing themselves. What did I do wrong? Why do I have this? Where did this come from? Why me? You know, that type of approach. I hate it. I wish it would just go away. Instead of treating it like that, what if they actually embraced it? What if they actually said to you, you know, I'm sorry you're hurting. It really sucks that you're in pain and that you're in this situation. Again, it's no fun. And I love you. Now, I know, and I think this is a human truth, that when I feel loved, I can do anything. When I feel loved and supported, I can achieve things I never thought I could achieve. And I go beyond the possibilities that I had for myself. And so what if I actually started to love the tumor? And what if my clients that I'm working with in these cases, whether it's an addiction client or a cancer client, what if they actually started to love this part of them that was suffering? And when that happens, there's this about face, like there's this opening where therapy stop, start working, where if they decide to go the traditional allopathic route, like the chemo is easier on the body. You know, whatever it is, they're able to absorb the healing much more. And I've seen little miracles. You know, I've seen people go and reverse scoliosis. I've seen people suddenly 
no longer have addiction issues. I've seen people have devastating fears and phobias and anxieties that just sort of melt away. So when we can change our perspective and we actually do step into this and start going, okay, I know I need to do this physical healing and maybe that's the allopathic Western part where it's a drug and a surgery. But what about this mental approach about the way I'm thinking about myself and this pain? And what about the spiritual approach in the heart and the way I feel about this experience? And what am I, what am I doing on those levels to heal? So if anybody's listening, I encourage you to really start asking those questions, to step out of that experience of being the victim to your pain, to actually turn around and love it, and to actually ask it to guide you towards its healing and start to find a recipe for your own healing that involves that physical part, that involves that mental thinking part, and that involves that heart-based spirit part. Right. I, I like that. Well, you know, the as you're describing that, and and I loved what you just said, it it seems to me like uh, in the in the physical realm. So you have a high impact injury, and your body mm-hmm. takes on pain, and the pain wasn't there the moment before. It it's almost <laughs> like I was seeing it as like you're taking on this this energetic charge or or quantity or volume of pain into your psyche. And then you're talking about uh, people looking at the pain and going, I hate you, why can't you fix yourself, blah, 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 kind of giving that 17-year-old uh, what for. And then you talk about turning around and asking the pain what it wants to tell you, what it wants to um, resolve itself. And, and by doing that, instead of posturing or, or pressurizing the pain, it dissipates and it releases, and it moves, uh, it starts having a a continuity towards uh, um, resolving itself back to health and equilibrium. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It begins the process, and I've seen things happen in there, and, you know, in the moment. I've actually seen a couple of frozen shoulders in the moment suddenly become completely mobile, you know, that, that sort of restrictive pain, that stuck experience in the body where people can't really, can't move their arms. And, you know, I've seen that happen in the moment. And I've also seen it happen over time. I've seen people embracing this idea. It's pretty radical because our culture is based on this idea that pain is something that is bad and wrong and it's something that must be immediately eliminated. And what I'm actually asking people to do is to, to sit with their pain, to listen to their pain, to stop drugging it, to be present with it, to have a relationship with it that's kind and compassionate, and actually listen to the pain as a guide to show you how it wants to heal. So it's pretty radical in in the approach to pain. And I, by the way, uh, you know, I, on my intake form, when I work with my clients, I have a question of what is your current pain level? Zero being nothing and 10 being the highest it can be. And a lot of people, even though they're coming to me because they're in pain, they put zero because they think that pain is only a physical thing. And that's when I ask, a, you know, I give an example and ask a question to them. I say, what is more painful, a broken heart or a broken leg? 
And everybody has always said a broken heart. And so I say, so the pain, the brain doesn't know the difference between physical pain, mental pain, or spiritual pain. The brain just feels pain. There's not a different neural pathway for each of those types of pain. And so when we can actually sit with the pain and we actually bring it into a perspective like that, and we understand that pain is pain is pain, it launches us into more of a, a healing awareness. Right. Uh, we talked a, a, a while back, and uh, I shared a, a story about my mother who, who died of cancer several decades ago. And uh, mm-hmm. um, from my perspective, it wasn't the cancer that killed her. Certainly the cancer showed up, but I think she died of a broken heart and the cancer mm. uh, uh, manifests the, the pain of her heart into the physical realm, so to speak. And I agree. So, so the, so if, if I'm a listener to the show right now and, and I've had chronic pain and I've got, you know, a handful of uh, medicines I take every day, and Western medicine has me on Prilene 12 with 12 side effects. Um, how mm. do I, how do I navigate out of that into a, um, into a more um, a full convergence of the healing process. I mean, how do you, if you've had a a painful situation for such a long period of time, you've kind of accepted it. I mean, how do you restart your mind? How do you, how do you awaken that part of you that, Mm -hmm. that holds the potential of overcoming it? Well, first I want to, if somebody is in pain, like what you're describing, I want to actually validate that pain. And there are so many sort of new, quote unquote, diseases that are coming into the world. There's, there's a whole classification of people that's starting to, I think that the, the established Western medical establishments have been struggling with for years. People who have been what I call afflicted. They have multiple problems and nobody really knows what to do with them. And they try all these different things and they don't seem to get the results they want. And the doctors are frustrated with them. They're really frustrated and resentful oftentimes. And they're they're struggling because they have done the surgery. They've taken these drugs. They're still taking these drugs and they may be getting worse. And so these people are kind of my passion people. When they come to me, it's important to validate first that their pain is real, that what they're feeling is real, because they're often told that that what they have is in their head, or the doctors don't have or don't know why it's there, or what it is, or they can't. Everything looks fine; they can't figure it out. So I just really want to, if anybody in that situation is listening, I really want to just validate that your pain is real, and like your mother in that example you gave, I think it's very common that we have something that we don't emotionally, mentally, even physically, we don't deal with. And we shove that experience down. We don't fully process it. Maybe we were abused or raped or we were, uh, we have a post-traumatic sort of trauma that is, is going on and we didn't know how to deal with it as a child. Or it's something as simple as a broken heart. And that experience 
we don't, it's not safe to talk about. It's not safe to deal with. It's not something that people even know what to do. And in those experiences, they, they get shoved down into the body. The mind sort of can't handle it. It shuts it off. It's beyond the scope of their experience. Or the mind just goes into overwhelm and gets hijacked by that pain. So those people, when, when they come to me, I want to take back that experience. I want to sort of take back their bodies. I want to take back their hearts. And I want to sort of, in, I build a relationship with the pain in this case. And we bring the love to the pain. We identify it. And the brain has an interesting process. When we're in overwhelm, I had a neuroscientist that I was working with describe the brain when it's in an overwhelm process. It's like a blanket. And the brain gets blanketed over with this experience. It's, it's vast. And the brain just doesn't know what to do. And that's the experience, the feeling of being stuck, of being trapped. And there's a lot of people walking around in that experience. And one of the things that we can do to shift that experience is to give the brain a different perspective. And so we'll I'll ask the clients to let the pain take on a shape or a form and to give it a name. So when the pain shows up, instead of it being, oh, my God, there's the pain or there's the headache or there's whatever it is, and it's this massive thing and people start to shut down, it becomes, oh, there's Bob. And I can see Bob. Bob has a name. Bob has a gender. And Bob is showing up. Bob's knocking on my door. Now I can actually work with Bob. So we may need to do some physical things, and we may have, need to have that client do some nutrition work. We may need to eliminate something from the diet that's creating an allergic reaction or something like that. And we also need to create an experience of more peacefulness in the mind because when the mind is at rest, when the mind can be in a peaceful state, it can open up to healing more effectively. So, oh, there's Bob. Bob's that annoying neighbor. Bob showed up. Bob's really suffering. Instead of you know, diving into that pit of suffering, I'm actually just going to be present with Bob like a friend coming to me that's hurting. And I'm just going to hold Bob's hand and listen to what Bob has to say. Imagine in the example you gave with your mom, if your mom had, I hope this isn't too personal, but your mom, you said you thought your mom died of a broken heart. I wonder if your mom would have been able to heal that broken heart, if she would have been able to maybe process that grief or the shame or the sadness that was there, would the cancer had been needed? Because potentially the cancer was the way that she was processing that shame, that grief, that sadness, that loss, whatever it is, her body was doing it for her. Does that make sense to you? Well, yeah, you know, and, and that brings up a point because if I look at the dynamics of, of, the era that my mom was raised in, uh, um, mm-hmm. the the culture of that of that generation didn't have really really any tools. I mean, the uh, it was kind of a stoic, you know, suck it up and put on a smiley face kind of era, and mm-hmm. uh, and and. What this makes me think about is um, the the culture of who we are and how we were raised. I mean, we're because what, what you're talking about is, and, and I like the example of the uh, of my mother 
not knowing um, any uh, mechanics of Mm-hmm. Of how to connect with that that inner pain or the, or that inner grief because of the mm-hmm. culture she was raised in. I mean, and and that last sentence is what I want to look at. So in our culture, yeah. certainly the masculine. I can speak for the men. You know, you're a kid and you 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 trip and you rip half your half the skin of your knee off, and your dad says, you know, come on, suck it up. We don't cry. And 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 right. the culture just says. Um, endure and don't show it and keep walking. So in our right. in our American culture or in any culture really, it, it's connecting with that unresolved pain, that um, emotional pain, that unresolved perhaps low self-esteem or or thinking of yourself as something despicable, where where the um, the root of it is is a belief or an emotion that is so deep in you that um, it shows up as some other form, and then you, when you treat it as a form, you've lost the source of the pain, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we get convinced that our pain is, is far more powerful than it really is. Right. We get we get uh, overwhelmed by and convinced by it, you know that it's that person that uh, that person that didn't believe their cancer was an issue, and so they you know lived for another thirty years and died of, of some other causes, right? But then the person that believes that the cancer is a big problem and something to be afraid of, you know, dies in in just a couple months when they should have lived another ten years because it wasn't a major cancer. Our right. perception is so important and. You had brought up the, um, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I love this character of Jesus. And there's a story, uh, the story of Lazarus, which I always find fascinating. Because the Jesus character, the Jesus person, believed that Lazarus didn't need to be dead. And didn't doubt it at all. And just commanded by the way, the word ask actually comes from the root command. So, and Jesus didn't ask for anything. It, when Jesus, Jesus just believed that it was possible and told it to happen. And so he commanded Lazarus to rise. And Lazarus said, the spirit of Lazarus said, oh, okay, I can do that. And, and you had brought up the idea of hypnosis and how the brain can be convinced that a pen, right, that it is just a little writing pen is something hot. And then if I put you in hypnosis and I tell you that this is a hot pen and then I bring it to your skin, your skin will actually blister. That's a placebo effect. So right. if we can believe and perceive, this is super important, if we can believe and perceive ourselves as being whole and complete and we can then use our brain to understand that in the color the temperature the texture the sound the smell the taste because I could go to people and I could ask them what the what the feeling of their pain is what the color of their misery is and they may have not have thought of it that way but the answers come very quickly because that's how the brain understands the world the brain understands the world through these sensory ways of being And yet, if I go to somebody and I say, so what's the color of your happiness? What's the taste of your joy? What is the feeling of absolute health? And can you be that right now? It's potential. It's possible. 
What if you actually thought about that? And what if you put your mind space, without a shadow of a doubt, just like the Jesus character did with Lazarus, what if you, without any doubt, understood yourself as whole, perfect, and complete? And what if you actually lived in that experience without what it would, you know, irregardless of, or regardless, irregardless, that's not my word, regardless of what the doctor said of other people's opinions? What if you actually knew in your whole self, in your spirit, in the core of you, that who you are was whole and complete, and that the color of this completeness, this wholeness, was something like uh, brilliant yellow that shined like the sun, and it was the taste of of uh, custard eclairs, and it was the smell of the the beach on a summer day, and and you actually understood that in your body. So it was a it's a mind body experience. The mind cannot exist without the body, and the body cannot exist without the mind. And so when the mind body of you understands complete health, then the the parts that aren't in health get to go, oh, oh, wait, I need to catch up, just like Lazarus stepped out of the grave. Right. Well, that's what I was hinting at with the monologue I started the show with, that to, to look mm-hmm. at our own persona, our own being, our own deity, if you will, our own sense of self, and putting weight and yep. merit into its potential. But but I really like, I mean, I, it's kind of a... a, a Double weighed uh, aspect where one aspect is I got to believe that, hey, I decide what's going to happen. My beliefs decide what's going to happen. In other words, I have to empower with a genuine mm-hmm. sense of belief that I have dominion over my physical condition. And then what you've been Absolutely. sharing with us as well is well, when we ingest pain through events or circumstances and and we load ourselves up with this pain element, I love what you've said is to turn around and ask the pain what it has to tell us and and exactly. not polarize it and bastardize it and and treat it as the great evil and shun it and shut down and and keep that polarity um disconnect between it. Right, 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 exactly. Yes, and when people come to my office, yeah, (laughs) like that enthusiasm, yes. When people come to my office, they they fight for their pain more than they fight for their recovery and their wellness. It's a very strange human thing. Yeah, you know, I I'm sure people listening are are shaking their heads and saying, "Yeah, oh, that can't be," and that type of stuff. And then they're going to give all kinds of examples of why that can't be. And so what they're doing is they're they're the, there's part of them is struggling to hold on to the normalcy of pain instead of stepping out into the possibility of this experience of wellness. And we fight for it all the time. I see this in my addiction clients. I see this big time in my anxiety clients where they fight to, to let me show you, let me prove to you that you're wrong and that my anxiety is more real than anything else could possibly be. Well, how does that get so instilled in us? I mean, how do we get such a polarized view I mean, so at somewhere along the road, we've indoctrinated ourselves that the the dis-ease that we take on physically has some kind of dominion of its own. 
Yes. Well, and I think there's a, there's a, there's a, that's a twofold type of thing. One, the brain is always looking this, this, um, the part of our brain that's most likely the oldest part of our brain that is concerned with survival is always looking to preserve who we are, to keep who we are the same because it works there. We're still alive. It's not logical, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, safe, comfortable, and familiar to shoot up for a heroin addict because that's what they know how to do. And the unknown of how do I deal with these feelings that I'm medicating? How do I even be present in the world? How do I do these types of things when I don't, I don't know how, but I do know how to shoot up. And so right. there's a part of the brain that continues that experience even though our consciousness is saying, hey, dude, don't do that. You don't need to do that. And yet there's this other part of us that's fighting to continue it. So, and that right. primitive part of the brain is, is, is always looking for danger. To tell people to always be positive is ridiculous. You know, right. sure, it's great to have positive thoughts. Positive thoughts are really powerful. But to tell people not to be judgmental, to tell people um, don't think negatively and that type of stuff, the brain is programmed, at least part of it, to actually look for danger. It's programmed to look for problems. And that's part of the, the survival that we have. So I think it's a couple different things. One, the brain is actually doing this. A part of the brain is actually looking to preserve what it knows uh, as I, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I love reading about this type of stuff. And I've consulted at Stanford University and different things like that. And one of the things that I've learned is what the, what the scientists that I've worked with call brain space. And brain space is when the brain makes room for anything that it's good at. And so it'll make room. If you're really good at worrying, it'll make room for you to do more of that. If you're really good at being in pain, your brain is going to make more room for doing that. And so you're going to have more space in your head, literally in the, in the gray matter of your head, you're going to have more space to keep repeating those types of experiences. Well, so that's you know, one of the reasons why. Go ahead. Well, that, that reminds me of a, a study uh, I learned about many moons ago. This, uh, um, the study uh, involved seven or eight people in wheelchairs and and so they're they're in wheelchairs because they can't walk. I mean, these are these are people that had this pre-existing condition, and they bring in this doctor, and the doctor spends eight weeks with them, and at the end of the eight weeks, every single patient walked uh, and didn't need the wheelchair anymore, and all the doctor did was talk to them. And and so yes. when you're talking about the brain. I mean, this doctor is taking their brain and he's discovering how the brain has created this solution, so to speak, of, mm -hmm. of paralyzing them to the point where they need a wheelchair. That was the solution the brain came up with to, to mm -hmm. heal an incongruent part of their life. And when yeah. the doctor, through just conversation... Uh, resolve that disparity in their mental uh, arena, the dis-ease dissipated. 
Yes, exactly. There's a study that's similar to that where it, it was repeated. I think it was done in the, gosh, I think it was done in the late 70s and then repeated in the 2000s. I don't remember the exact timeline, but where they took a hand, it was done only in males, and they took in both studies a handful of men who were uh, in their older years and they were all, all had all different levels of some sort of disease. They had diabetes or heart disease or uh, crippling arthritis or whatever it was. And in the study, they took these men and put them back in time in a space, in a physical space that it was associated with the time of their life where they were maybe in their their early 20s or their late teens. So let's say this was in the 70s and they or the 80s and they brought these men back to a time period, let's say, in the 40s. Uh, right. or even even the earlier, right? And they put them in a house that was from that time period, and they put periodicals or magazines out that were from that time period, and the, all the furniture was from that time period, and the food was from that time period. Everything as best they could possibly do was from that period of time where they were at an age where they were they were completely healthy. And they put these men in this in this space where everything around them, the music, the entertainment, everything was from that time period. And they were there, I think, for a month. Maybe it was only two weeks. I'm not sure. At the end of that, that time period, when they brought them out of the house, everybody had reverted back to a healthier state of being. The people that were in wheelchairs actually walked out. The people that were on hard meds didn't need their hard medications. And they repeated this study twice. So that's why I'm saying to use the brains because in that experience, they were, they were smelling the, the smells from a younger age, right? They were watching, seeing TV from a younger age. They were uh, in this whole experience where their brain was being convinced that they were back at a different age and time when they knew health and wellness. And so that's why, in the, that's why the hypnosis work is so interesting to me. Because what if right now one of the listeners could actually start perceiving themselves and maybe think back to a time when they understood themselves as whole and complete and what that felt like and looked like and sounded like. Now, what if they could then incorporate that, embody that in them so that they could actually feel it? Because there's a feeling to these things. And so what if they then took that feeling and brought that feeling into the present experience? And what happens is when that, that a knowing of wellness is brought into that present experience, like in that study, then the, the body starts to reverse itself. It starts to go back into homeostasis, into a healing mode. So the brain is incredibly important. You know, the healing needs to be done on all levels. And the brain is really the source because it perceives those levels. It perceives the physical level. The brain perceives the mental, spiritual, and emotional levels. So when we can focus on the brain and still do the other work on all the other levels, but really get the brain to start thinking of itself as well, then, then disease starts to reverse. It's, it's a fascinating, fascinating realm. I had mentioned um, Dr. Lisa Rankin, who's, book I was just reading a couple weeks ago, Mind Over Medicine. Uh, you know, my book's fabulous, of course, and I encourage everybody to read it. If people are really interested in the science behind this, uh, I'm going to encourage people to, to reach out for that. Some oh, people like need that. that science. Some people need more of the feeling type of thing. Sure. But, but, uh, 
Our brains get convinced of who we are. Well, the science can give their brains, their logical mind, permission to believe. Yes. So the, so yes. the um, speaking of books, I'm holding your book in my hand right now. Um, Convergence. I healing, love that. Healing pain mm-hmm. with energetic love, and uh, what a delightful book! Can you share with our audience um, now? Now share with our audience the books that you have available, plural. And any mm-hmm. modalities where you work with people, be it in person or through the internet, I mean, give us a rundown about the 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 ways our audience can connect with you. Well, glad to. Thank you, and I love connecting with people. I'm really passionate about that. So thank you for this opportunity. My my first book was uh, I actually published it, be self published it because I wanted to just have it for my clients. And a couple weeks after I published it, it was purchased by Simon & Schuster. And so Simon & Schuster opened a new imprint called Enliven, and that book can be found through Simon & Schuster, Barnes & Noble's, iTunes. It's also an audio book, so it could be found on Audible and iTunes and pretty much all the different platforms, uh, Kindle, all that type of stuff. So if somebody's interested in convergence healing, healing pain with energetic love, it's pretty much everywhere. And you can find me online through Convergence Healing, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whether it's uh, Instagram or YouTube. I have lots of videos on YouTube if people are interested in actually going to YouTube and just searching Convergence Healing. Interact with me with me on those sites. Uh, send me messages. Ask me questions. I'm totally open to it. And I'm open to skepticism. So, you know, I was a skeptic. So, you know, my own healing happened because I stumbled into this. I didn't believe this was going to work at first. And I was able to heal myself, like I said before, of all kinds of things I was told could never be healed. So Convergence Healing, Healing Pain with Energetic Love is my first book. I have a second book that's actually coming out at the end of this of this year. And uh, it's a very simple, very small book. I wanted to have something super easy and small for people to just pick up and walk away and read in just a short amount of time. And so that book, I like to bring humor into things and it's called suffering succotash healing. Um, Oh gosh, I forgot the tagline. Sucker suffering succotash, how your pain is your gain. And so that's the second book. And then I have a third book that is my response to depression. That book is actually uh, in, um, in the hands of publishers right now. And it's called cultivating joy when happiness is work. And it's really about, allowing yourself through to heal through mind exercises, but also through herbs. I'm really big in herbs. I love uh, teas and, and natural supplements. So through herbs, through different practices and thinking processes, stuff of that sort. So each book, each chapter in that book has a prayer, a meditation, an herbal remedy, and an exercise to do. So these both, both those books will probably be out either the end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020. Well, very nice. And again, your website is convergencehealing.com. Hey, you know, uh, yeah. Peter, time really flies when you're having fun. Um, we've come to the end mm-hmm. of the episode. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts you want to share with our audience? Well, one, the most important thing is that to tell people that the truth is that they can heal and that to not give up and to start looking 
for ways where you can create your own recipe. I call it my holistic cocktail of healing. And that cocktail involves a mind, body, spirit approach where you're coming to the healing with, uh, from a mind approach, a physical body approach, and a spirit approach. So when you can do that, anything is possible. Well, very nice. Peter, I, as, I, as I expected, this has been such a delightful conversation. I want to thank you, not only for the passion you have for this material, but the compassion you have for humanity. I want to thank you for being our guest on the show tonight. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Les. We've been talking with Peter Bedard, and the topic tonight has been, what does it mean to heal body, mind, and spirit. It's, uh, it's been a, a delightful conversation, and um, it's, it's quite clear there that you yourself are the most powerful substance in your life. You yourself, your own consciousness, your own uh, will, uh, resolve, is a very powerful element to, to how you live your life. And um, if you've been living with chronic pain, I, in, I invite you to take these, uh, this conversation to heart. And life's, life's too short to give up in, in a difficult condition and just endure it out. That's, that's contrary to um, the, the will of our soul, if you, if you would imagine that. Hey, you know... You've joined us for this conversation tonight, and that shows that you're interested in in improving who you are as a listener. We we are all infinite potential personified. We're an infinite stream of inspiration. Our soul has a plan for us in, in this life of ours. And when you show up for that vision that your soul has, and you trust it, and you don't rationalize the crap out of it with your ego but just show up for it a really wonderful thing happens there's a a welling of a very deep satisfaction of a very deep sense of fulfillment that happens when you follow the lead of your heart and your soul's inspiration and and that's when passion shows up and when you can do that with passion you become electric and and when you're electric Life is good. Hey, um, it's it's always my pleasure bringing you episodes like this. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.